I was told not to hide behind the microphone. I thought, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> um, I'd like to thank the committee uh, for asking me. Uh, Joanne, thank you very much. We've, we know a lot of the same people, and yet we've never met. So it was, it's really nice to meet, meet you finally. And um, I thank the women for, um, who, who came up and uh, shared. And cause, because when you come up on the podium the way we were brought up in the program, you clean up, you show up, and you wear lipstick. Yeah. And a shout out to my friend Christy, who that's when she got in early sobriety, she said her, her first sponsor said to her, Don't worry about anything, go to meetings, clean up, show up and wear lipstick. Yeah. The rest will take care of itself. So. <laughs> thank you, Melody. Thank you, Elisa, thank you, Mindy. And thank you, Marie. Um, <laughs> Marie was especially thrilled to be wearing a skirt this morning. <laughs> I'd also like to thank my, um, my wonderful husband, who is a recovering member of Alcoholics Anonymous. He has 15 years of sobriety, and I tell you that just because I'm extremely proud of him. And um, he is my biggest cheerleader and my best friend, and, um, and we make it work. And, and all I can ask for today is a willing partner, and he is. He's there. We, we, you know, it's not perfect, but we're there for each other, and we do the best we can every day. And, um, and God has been very good to us. I'd also thank to, like to thank my beautiful daughter, who um, I gave her the option of being here today, and um, we spent the night in a hotel, and she just thinks, you know, nothing better than ordering, you know, $5 bagel from room service. I mean, life is large. <laughs> it's so simple when you're nine, and, you know. <laughs> and she said, you know, so I gave her the option of coming and listening to me, and um, she said, you know, Mommy, she thought about it. I really like to come and hear your performance today, but I really don't want to waste the day. So I'm I'm humble. It's okay. It's okay. So um, with that, I'd like to say that uh, my name is Cindy S. and um, I'm a grateful member of the uh, Al-Anon family groups. My home group is, is the, the new um, It's 6 O'Clock Somewhere, uh, meeting on six, at 6 o'clock on Thursday nights at, in Roswell at the St. David's Episcopal Church on Old Roswell Road. This meeting is about six weeks old, and it was started, and I'm going to use this word because I usually call us long-timers, but in this, in this particular sense, we are all old-timers. We wanted an early meeting so that on our way home from work, we all live or work near the church, and we can get to a meeting and go home and go to bed. <laughs> you know, the whole thought about going home and eating and then coming back out, most of us are just, you know, <laughs> beyond that. And then some of us don't want to drive it after dark either. So I mean it when I say old-timers. We just... Um, but it's a wonderful group. It's, it's, uh, the, the reason we called it at 6 o'clock somewhere was kind of a uh, tip of our hat to our, our loved ones in AA who always had the excuse it's 6 o'clock somewhere. So <laughs> um, and we have a lot of fun. And my, um, I, my story is a love story, and my story is, is a story of joy and, and a story of God's grace, I believe, uh, in these rooms. Um, God saved my life and brought me such joy and such blessings that I, I couldn't even have imagined to have asked for. And each day is just another.
blessing on blessing. And I stand here before you and I look out back and there's the lake and um, even in winter there's such beauty in winter with the trees without their leaves and the cold and the wind and it's just, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous and, and reminds me again how good God is. Um, I surrounded myself with a few things I have on. Um, I love frogs. My daughter knows I love frogs. I get frogs for everything. Frog stands for fully rely on God. So I'm wearing my frog necklace. I have my little origami frog for my daughter, which does jump. And um, last night we went out for dinner, and she had to buy me a little joy rock. So, so she's right in there. And um, this morning I was, you know, um, talking to my husband, and I, you know, I'm nervous, obviously. And he said to me, um, "Honey, it just turned to me, and 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 you know, he." can't tell you enough how wonderful my husband is, but he just turned to me and says, I don't know anybody who works better program than you. And to have that come from my husband is just, you know, the most wonderful thing, you know, because he gets me every day, day in, day out, you know, the good and the bad. <laughs> you know, I stand here before you hopefully um, spreading a good message, but he gets to see my mess. <laughs> So, um, anyway, so I, I'll start at the beginning. Um, I came in, and the only reason I'm going to tell you this date is because it's important later on. Um, I remember the day I went to my very first Al-Anon meeting. It was June 13, 1988. I was journaling at the time, and that's why I remember it. You know, it was written down. And um, so keep that date in mind. I um, it's just the beginning of a long journey of of grace, joy, hope wonderfulness. And it wasn't always that way. I was born into um, a large a large family. There were five I was the fourth of five children. A very religious home. Very religious, um, but not a very spiritual home. And um, we worried a lot as a family. We worried a lot. And um, you know, I learned that at my mother's knee and, and you know it says um, in the big book, alcoholism, um, alcohol is but a symptom, and this is very much a, uh, a family disease, and I think that was covered yesterday in the panel, the only difference is the allergy. And there are not two sides of this disease, it is one disease, and there are not two sides of the, the program or the principles. There's Al-Anon and AA, and our principles are exactly the same. The only difference in the programs is I do not have a physical allergy to the drink. and. Um, but I can be just as crazy, stone cold sober, if you will, as any drunk um, when they're in a blackout. So, um, so I, I started. You know, my, my family is. It, I will say that my, my family is wonderful. I um, my my brothers, my sisters, my parents. Uh, it was a loving home, although I didn't feel at the time that I was loved. I felt when I was, I was the fourth of five that there wasn't enough love. I felt that by the time they got down to the fourth one, there just wasn't enough to go around. And, you know, it never occurred to me, what I learned later, is that the more love you give, the more love you are able to give. And not that love doesn't divide as you give it to people. It doesn't, you know, mean there's less and less. It means there's more and more, which is kind of a conundrum, but that's the way God works. As he creates more and more people, and we're all perfectly unique. There will be no one like me before me, and there's no one like me after me. I have the fingerprints of God on me, because my fingerprints are unique. And so God created me to be special. 
and that's all that matters. But I didn't know that at the time, and I just grew up with this hole. And um, uh, I, I heard a term, I think it's in a song, but uh, a God-shaped hole. It's that God-shaped hole in my soul. And, um, you know, when I was, as I started growing up and feeling less than and always comparing myself that I wasn't, you know, pretty enough or tall enough or, or smart enough or whatever enough. It w there was never enough. I was never enough. And um, it, uh, you know, I just, I searched for something to make me enough. And as I slowly, um, you know, as I got into middle school and high school, I discovered what my drug of choice was, and that was men or boys. And, and always it was about they made me feel enough. And um, because if, if I could be something in their eyes, then I could be okay. And so, you know, I would, um, I started early, I remember eighth grade dance, and uh, Chucky asked me to dance, and I remember that going home high, I mean high as a kite, just like woo, and that was my first, you know, high of, of the drug of my choice, just because this, this boy had asked me to dance with him. That was eighth grade, and um, through high school I, and college, I continued um, what I call my manalog, you know, the drunkalog in AA, you know. I was, I was serial, serially monogamous, but nonetheless, serially monogamous. <laughs> I was always the next man because I didn't feel good. I couldn't be by myself. And I um, had already started acting out against girlfriends because they were competition. The man was more important than the friend. And I certainly didn't have integrity. I wasn't a good friend. And I wasn't honest and I wasn't truthful because I was always willing to dump you women at the drop of a hat to be with the guy and, um, and to betray you to get the guy. And so, um, because that would make me feel better. The guy made me feel better. And as I got older and my disease progressed, my choices got more and more questionable. <laughs> and... Um, I'm out of college at this point, and you know I had put myself. I was living in New York City, and went to school in New York City, and lived and worked in New York City, and for 15 years, and I was um, dating only uh, men who drank very heavily, blackout drinkers generally, um, and and some drug abusers, but you know they were they weren't really my favorite. I liked the drunks; they were fun. Um, <laughs> Drugs scared me. So, um, <laughs> and you know, doing that, you know, partying in New York City, um, I, I lived and worked in a, on the Upper West Side. I lived on the Upper West Side, and there was a little bar there called the Abbey Pub on West 105th Street in Broadway. And it was just like Cheers, just like Cheers Bar in Boston. <laughs> the make-believe bar. I mean, everybody knew your name. It was a little bar, and everybody in the neighborhood came. And you know, I, you know, I could sit on a bar stool uh, by myself and um, like have dinner and be safe and not be. It wasn't, you know, real sleazy. But of course, I knew all the regulars, and the regulars were the drinkers. And you know, I remember years later saying to a, a woman in AA that, you know, you know, I met all these the men that I dated all, you know, were up, she's like, the men that you dated were all drinking heavily. You met them in a bar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you think? Just never occurred to me. Um, I, you know, honestly, just never occurred to me. So anyway, um, the, the choices got worse and worse. And, and, you know, blackout drunks and my chasing after men and um, 
the the you know I, I I call it my sine curve or reverse sine curve of of men to my bottom, which was you know kind of starting up the younger days when they were okay and they just you know we were too young to drink then, you know. but and then the bottom and then back up again because right at the bottom of my sine curve there was a bottom and then my the man that I dated right before the bottom this blackout drinker who to this day I wonder if he's alive and then the bottom and then I back up I dated him again because <laughs> <So laughs> the man who broke me really was not a, a drinker he was just very very abusive and um, emotionally abusive and a uh, New York City cop, as a matter of fact, and legally licensed to carry a gun, and slept with it under his pillow, and um, and I was I was being broken down because I didn't feel like I was enough, and so I listened to everything he said, and it was all that abusive talk where you know I love you, I'm the only one who can love you this way, and you need to do this because I'm just here to help you, so you know wear certain things, and you know if I was running even a little bit late, how Horrible, I would be subjected to a rant about, you know, how inconsiderate and we need to be on time and, you know, just very, very abusive. And um, a girlfriend of mine, a uh, close friend of mine, who had left an alcoholic marriage, interestingly enough, never been in Al-Anon, that we never talked about it, but I knew she had um, was divorced from, from a man who, who was a, a very, very, very heavy drinker. Um, she said to me, she said, you know, Cindy, you sound like, when I was talking to her about it, um, you sound like an abused wife. And I was just, you know, I was probably just a few weeks short of becoming physically abused. It was probably the next step in our relationship. And when she said that to me, you know, I got the God shot. It was all that mattered. And um, I broke up with him, and um, he stopped me. And it was quite frightening there for a while because, you know, he had a gun, and he had, he knew where I lived, and he knew where I worked. And, I mean, and it was just, I mean, I thank God that I got out of that relationship and I got out of it whole and alive and, and, and um, you know, moving on with my life. And so I um, ended up getting into, into therapy, and um, which was definitely God's gift because this woman um, was an AA, I did not know at the time, and she 12-stepped me um, later on. And... Um, and I, w I went. My very first meeting was in the bottom of Trinity Church in um, down uh, in the in the shadow of the World Trade Center, and um, it's a huge noontime meeting for Wall, Wall Street. And people come and go. There's an AA, there's AA big AA meeting on one side of the hall, and a big Allen on meeting on the other side of the hall. And I, and I had to laugh at um, Anne last night. It's so true. The alcoholics, they don't care. You come late, you leave early, you eat, you talk, you go out and you have a smoke. Hell no, we all whip around whenever somebody walks in the room. And <laughs> Every group inventory is about who's late. <laughs> alcoholics are like, who cares? <laughs> my husband says about, um, my, my husband got sober at Skyland and I, used to attend Skyland Al-Anon very regularly, and he used to laugh about our group inventory. He'd say in the Al-Anon room, he said, the thing I, I like most about Skyland is the alcoholics downstairs. The thing I like least about the Al uh, Skyland Al-Anon is I can't hear what they're saying. <laughs> Classic. So, um, anyway, I... Um, I went, in, I, I went into the Al-Anon meeting on June 13, uh, 1988, and um, 
thought to myself, these people are crazy, and I'm not. I am not crazy, and I don't have alcoholism in my life. And um, and I didn't. I did not have. I did not grow up in a, a, active alcoholism. There's a story in um, How Al-Anon Works, and that this woman. It's funny. The story's called Learning to Live Single, which was very important for me. But it starts out with perhaps the most outstanding thing about my story is how far from outstanding it is. <laughs> you know, it really. I didn't have any tremendous. Um, it was all internal. It was all internal emotional upheaval and feeling sad and lonely and less than and um, always looking for um, solace in the next man. And um, I do remember when I first got into therapy, um, Susan Godblesser saying to me, um, she said, Cindy, nobody, just, nobody gets placed um, into their 20s miserable. You just don't all of a sudden wake up miserable. You know, this has been coming for a long time. And um, so we searched and we searched. We did family trees and never did find the active alcoholic. It's in there because this, the isms are all in there. You know, alcoholism is really disease of behaviors. And I had all the relationship behaviors. And I had all the fear and uncertainty and doubt and worry. And, you know, when I first came in, I was um, so afraid. Fear ruled my life. And I was afraid to live and I was afraid to die. And I would get up and go to work every day and come home into my apartment in New York City and not talk to a soul. I didn't have to. My mother's greatest fear was that I would die in my apartment and no one would know. And, you know, because no one, it was entirely possible I could order takeout or I could stop by a bodega on the way home on Friday night and not have to come back out until, you know, Monday morning till work. So um, it's real easy to isolate and remain alone in New York City, and um, and it worked for me for a while. Um, but um, so I, I I started getting help, and I went back to I I tried Alan on three times because she kept shooting me back. You know, I was gonna like swing out, she'd shoot me back into play, and um, she she was one of the most spiritual women I know, and she just kept saying to me, you know, I think you'll feel better if you. If you, if you keep trying, just keep trying. I think you'll feel better. So I, I went to that um, Al-Anon meeting down at um, down at Trinity Church, the noon meeting, for um, two years. I went very regularly. They had it was every day. They had a meeting um, from 12 to uh, well, actually, yeah, 12 to 1:15. It took count for lunch hours. People could come and go, and and there was a lot of coming and going because you know, and people were rattling their plastic bags or eating you know their salads or whatever. You, you came, you eat, you listened, you shared maybe, and you left. And um, but it was fabulous because I could also remain anonymous in that meeting as well. And um, people who know me know why I have such a pet peeve about um, going around the room in a meeting. It just bugs bugs me because it took me two years to raise my hand and share in that meeting. And when I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, I raised my hand and I shared. And, and I, it, was a, it was a huge moment in my recovery when I claimed my seat. Because for two years I sat there. I went regularly. People knew who I was. I, you know, I, hi, I'm Cindy. And, but I never, they didn't know anything else about me. And they were patient and they were loving. And when I finally got ready to say, I'm here and I belong here, um, you know, that's when the real recovery began. And that was really when I started taking my, my first step. I realized that my life was unmanageable. I was powerless. And um, and I knew I was crazy. I knew at this point that, you know, that there was definitely insanity in my life. And um, 
that something needed to change. So, um, so I did start sharing, and I, my first six years uh, were spent in the program in New York. I did not have a sponsor. I don't recommend that for people. Uh, but I, I did do, you know, have um, the third step, and I, you know, I did have uh, faith. I always had faith. The problem is, you know, because I had been grow grown up in a religious home, while it wasn't spiritual, I did have a God of my understanding, and um, and actually my my given name in my uh, religion was Faith, which was interesting uh, interesting enough, and um, I, I picked that. So I I did have faith that there was a God and that um, that He was responsible for all things. The problem I had was I didn't know. I never. It took me a long time to read the word care in the third step to turn my will and my life over to the care of God that God was loving God was caring God was good um, I had fear of God and I just assumed um, that um, I had to be good for God to love me and um, I just said this the other night and, and I heard it from a dear friend in Al-Anon and, and she says God doesn't love me because I am good God loves me because God is good and it took me a long time to know that. So that regardless of my actions, regardless of what I did, God always loved me. God, and he still does. And no matter what I do, I can go back to God and God can say, okay, could have done that better, but, you know, I love you and go out tomorrow and do a little bit better. And um, because at the end of the day, my behavior is between me and my God. And it really doesn't matter, my sponsor says this all the time, it really doesn't matter if you have a problem with my behavior. That's your problem. <laughs> if I don't have a problem with my behavior, then it's okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, it's a self-diagnosed disease. If, you know, I can say to someone, your drinking bothers me, but if it doesn't bother them, it doesn't bother them, and it's not a problem. And same with my behavior. If, if, if it's okay with me and with my God, I'm sorry that it hurts your feelings, whatever it may be, or I'm sorry that you don't like it, but I'm okay with it. And um, and that's taken a long time to realize that I'm a child of God and a person of worth and that I try today to be esteemable, that I try to do the things that God would want me to do, to be the best Cindy that I can be today. That's all I can be. I can't be you. I can't be what you think of me. I can't be what I think you think of me. My husband always says it. Would you stop trying to read my mind? You really suck at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And I'll look at him and say, well, then don't give me that tone of face. So, <laughs> so um, anyway, so I did, you know, when I finally got the care of God, I was, I was um, in a, a long-term relationship with a, uh, a man who, who was drinking and drugging. And um, I got into the relationship when I was in Al-Anon. And I met him. I'd known him from the bar for a long time, and he'd always drunk heavily, and, you know, so this was not a surprise to me. So I'm in the program, and I picked this guy. Of course, we date and mate, because that's what I do, and, you know, within, I think it was, it might have been two or three dates, we were engaged. Whoo! <laughs> nice Catholic boy from Atlanta, and I'm a nice Catholic girl from Connecticut, and, you know, whoo! It's going to be wonderful. Call the family, and we called the family, and they're like, <laughs> so, anyway, um, so four years later, we're not married. We're living together, and um, 
we've made no plans to make to get married, by the way, either. You know, and we but we have a life together and we know each other's families and da 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 and yet nothing's moving on. And I'm slowly getting some recovery. And um in this relationship, which is which is good. I mean it, it was really important. And um uh, one of the reasons I moved to Atlanta was because this um, wonderful, wonderful man, I mean, he really is a wonderful man, um, told me that if we could just move back to Atlanta, which is, he's, he's from here, his family's from here, everything would be better. He would, he, you know, we should move, and, and now, by the way, he was still in school and I was working, so I was the sole, sole support of the, our little family, and um, so we should move to Lake Linnea and um, live on the lake and he would stop drinking and he would stop doing cocaine because everything was better. It really was New York City that was causing all our problems. (laughs) Now I'm, you know, four or five years in to the program (laughs) without a sponsor, so. But nonetheless, I'm working it. You know, I'm going to meetings and I'm sharing and I'm being honest and I'm in I'm in a a women's group of of women in uh, in AA and in Al-Anon and um, you know, really, really working to overcome these, you know, my, my, my issues and to feel good about myself regardless of, of who I was with. And, you know, I got better about um, I'm okay no matter what job I have. I'm okay no matter where I live. But it, I still wasn't okay whether I had a man in my life or not and who that man was. Because that man had to measure up. He had to be certain things. And... Um, and most of all, it was funny. And and Peter, God love him, he was the funniest drunk I knew. He was a funny, funny man. But um, later on, it wasn't so funny. But you know, um, as as you know, uh, Anne, uh, not Anne from last night, but different Anne will say. Um, she says, you know, it tells that when the AA tell the story, and there's always laughing and da da da. You know, it, it tells a lot. It tells a lot better than it lives mm-hmm. on the other side. <laughs> so. Yeah, the alcoholics are roaring with laughter and the alcoholics are, oh, oh. Anyway, um, through a series of a lot of just, so so that started and we started looking for a house here in Atlanta. We were going to move in Atlanta. I was looking for a job here in Atlanta. And, um, you know, it's funny enough when when you're in the disease and you pray for something to happen and, um, and God gives it to you, and so, you know, we prayed for me to get this job at, in Atlanta, and, and I did. And um, God love him, my, my, my fiancé just, he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. So that summer he really, really acted out. Um, he was spending the summer away. Um, I was in New York, and um, he finally crossed the line that I couldn't, I couldn't let go. And so I, I, we, we, we broke up. And um, ironically enough, I um, still moved down to Atlanta, and he couldn't believe that I moved alone because the only people I knew here were his friends and his family. I knew no one else. So I packed up my my car. Now, the company was going to move my stuff. So I just packed up my car with my clothes and and my pillow and my my, my stuffed animals (laughs) (laughs) and drove to Atlanta. Um, I left on Saturday, spent the night in the D.C. area on... um, Saturday night and landed here Sunday afternoon at the um, not the Holiday Inn but one of those places right on off of North Druid 
and I called um, May, and I had already gotten, actually I had come down on my interview, um, I had found May, it was on Waiuka at that time, um, low those many years ago, and um, I was new to Atlanta, I was in a rental car, I just had a, a interview and I was pretty sure I was going to get the job offer so I wanted a, a meeting list so I, I found out where Mays was and I, I got to, to the uh, uh, I got on the, the, the on 285 at Roswell Road and um, went the wrong way so I drove the perimeter all 60 miles of it to get back to Wayuka but by God I was getting that meeting list so, so there was commitment <laughs> to my recovery so I did get the I did get the meeting list and I headed back home um, to New York, and so when I did, um, when I landed in, in, in Atlanta that night, that Sunday night, there was a meeting on Sunday nights at um, the Lutheran Church up the street on um, North Stewart Hills. I don't even think the church is there. I think they knocked the church down now. But um, I, so I was in a meeting my very first night in Atlanta because I didn't know anybody else, and I went to meetings every night um, just in that area. Um, went to meetings at Nava, Skyland, uh, Tucker. And just every night I, I, I landed in meetings because I took a tremendous leap of faith. And this was my, my third step. When I left New York, I really felt like I walked off the cliff. And that, um, and I just like held my hands out and God came in and swooped me up and just landed me very, very safely and gently in Atlanta and said, this is the place for you. I don't know, you know, and at the time I was clear, I was terrified to leave New York and my parents lived in Connecticut and all my friends and family were in you know the Northeast and it was just the right move and I wasn't moving because of him I was moving because of me it was a time for me to make a change and I didn't know why um, but I went and um, and a lot of you know I laugh because change and flexibility are not strong points <laughs> you know I never let go of anything without claw marks on it and um, so you know to, that was really when I got the care of God that I, I landed here in Atlanta I landed in the rooms of Al-Anon and I very quickly started building up friends um, and, and, and in these family groups and um, my mother couldn't believe they didn't know I was in the program at the time and they couldn't understand how quickly I had friends and how many friends? It's like, what's going on here? You know. Um, and I love my mom and dad. And the main reason I didn't ever tell them about um, when I didn't tell them I was in the rooms for a long, long time. And the reason I didn't is because I knew, you know, this much I did know. And um, and true, true to form, my mother said it, which was, "What did I do to raise you?" <laughs> It's my fault. Now my mother, my mother is a remarkable woman, and I love her dearly. And um, she is the ultimate caretaker, the ultimate enabler. And there are wonderful. I mean, when my mother um, passes, there will be hundreds, if not thousands, at her funeral of people she's helped. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It's just, it's just the way she is, and it is not a bad thing. Um, but nonetheless, I, I didn't tell them, and I, I did land in Atlanta, and I didn't know a soul. Uh, like I said, that I felt I could contact safely. And um, so I built up friends and I built up a life here. And um, I learned to um, I learned to live single, like it, it, it says there. I started working the steps again. Um, one of the very first meetings I went to over in Tucker, 
on a Friday night, I heard this woman speak, and she was sharing her story. And I heard her say something that I thought, ooh, I could tell this woman my deepest, darkest secrets. I know I can. And, you know, I didn't trust anybody that much. I was slowly beginning to trust the rooms that I could share in the rooms, but you certainly didn't know my deepest, darkest, you know. So, um, but I thought, you know, I, I think I can, I could talk to her. So um, the next week I went back to the Monday night meeting at Tucker, and there she was. She was chairing, and she had um, someone up there speaking on sponsorship. So I thought, okay, God, I get it. So after the meeting, I mean, I literally felt the hand of God on my back just pushing me up towards her. And I asked her to be my sponsor, and she looked at me, and she said, well, of course, honey. She took the phone list out, and she circled her name on it, and she said, you know, call me this week, and, and we'll talk. She said, my husband's in AA, so you don't have to worry about anonymity. You can talk to him. And, um, and I said, thank you. And then I ran all the way out to the parking lot um, so that she wouldn't, you know, Decided she changed her mind, and um, you know, I know, you know, she can remember my name now most of the time. But then she kind of thought to herself, "I wonder who the hell was that?" <laughs> and thought, eh, "Well, she calls me. I'll figure it out." So, um, and uh, so here we are, uh, 16 years later. Um, my sponsor and I. And we, you know, I did call, and I did get her husband the first time. Oh Lord, God love him, <laughs> Dennis Sanfilippo, who has now gone to the big AA meeting in the sky up there with Owen. God love him, they're playing golf and arguing, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but uh, just, you know, he he's busy. He was busy at that time saving Alanons. <laughs> he saved a lot of our lives, according to him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, scared the daylights out of me Dennis did um, big, gruff, loving um, alcoholic and um, learned a lot from him and um, so I started getting sponsored by Barbara and um, we started meeting and she said you know what I really feel comfortable normally I would start you back on the first step but I feel really comfortable that you you know, you have the first three so let's get writing on your inventory and um, so two to four, I always wait till the last minute for everything. So, you know, I'd had, I don't know, a couple of weeks, and she, you know, before we were going to get together, and, and it was a Saturday, I was going to go over to her house and uh, do my fifth step. And, um, you know, Friday night, I'm writing my, <laughs> my fourth step <laughs> right before. So, um, you know, I didn't just, and, and I remember she said, you know, if you have any questions and you want to call and you can't get me, you can always ask Dennis. And so... Um, <laughs> I remember calling him up once and asking him, and he's like, you idiot, God is the solution. I'm like, thanks, Dennis. <laughs> I always remember that. And the other thing was, um, if you had a problem, Dennis was, did you pray about it? Yeah. Then grab a newcomer and shut up. So, <laughs> you know, things were simpler then, you know. <laughs> okay. So, um, and I was used to, I, I, you know, I mentioned I was in a women's group with, um, in New York City, and I do want to go back to that just for a minute, because I was the only Al-Anon. I was the token Al-Anon, and all the other women were recovering in AA. And I learned early on in my recovery to work my program um, as my life depended on it, because these women did. 
because they knew when I came into the program, what I heard was the alcoholic will either get sober, go crazy, or die. There was no options, other options. Those were the three choices. And um, so, so I watched those women stay sober because their lives depended on it. They didn't want to end up in an insane asylum, and they didn't want to die. And, um, and I knew that even though I didn't drink, I was dying a spiritual death every day that I compromised myself and compromised my God and compromised the person that I, I was meant to be um, by you know, engaging in the active disease of alcoholism. So, I, um, so those women were an example to me. And while Dennis was scary and then meeting a lot of the men that um, he sponsored was scary, it still was, um, I, I, I couldn't meet him halfway. And, uh, and it was a great lesson to me. He became somewhat of a father figure to me. I was, I was his golf wife. Barbara hated to play golf, and I wanted to play golf. So, and Dennis wanted to play in the mixed pairs that they would have on Sunday mornings at this country club. <laughs> and so he and I would play together, and um, and I was really horrible. I, I got to tell you, but you know, I could tend to hit straight. I just could never hit very far, and I always had to go to the bathroom every three or four holes. <laughs> just used to irritate him. No end. What? You have to go to the bathroom again. And I'd be sitting there contemplating what club to hit, and, you know, what, and, and of course we weren't playing fast enough for Dennis. Be, Any club in the bag, just move it! <laughs> Talk about a spiritual golf experience. No more, no enjoying nature and the be, being together and <laughs> drew me out of a golf cart once. He, not purposely, but he was in a hurry. We were making the turn from 9 to 10. My butt wasn't quite in the chair yet. He went around the corner and I flung out into the middle of the road, no less. And he did, he did manage to remember that I wasn't with him. He came back and got me. Anyway, um, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. So, um, you know, did four, five, and six, um, made my list of amends, and um, seven, eight, and nine, and went to um, the real physical amends I needed to make was in my journey, my manologue, which started when I started betraying women. Um, I did... I. I betrayed my best friend with her boyfriend back, you know, when I was 16, and my best friend. And um, we had grown up together, and back then they used to arrange you in homerooms alphabetically. So she and I sat together, you know, we were, you know, last names, bing, bing, right together for, I don't know, 10 years. So, um, so it was a big, big betrayal, and it was, you know, indicative of how I would proceed throughout the rest of my life. So I flew back to Connecticut. Um, to um, to meet with her, there was a her brother had been killed accidentally, and they used to have a uh, actually a golf uh, championship in his honor, a tournament rather. And um, my brothers and my father and I would play in it uh, every year. So that that year after I, I did my uh, had my nine step list, I flew back to Connecticut to play in the tournament, and I met with her and and I, I talked to her about that. And you know it was many many years later, but she remembered it as well. And she was married and she had children, and I was not. And, um, but I remember what a, what a wonderful feeling it was. And the main thing on my ninth step was to um, make my amends in, in, in changed behaviors, to be a better me, to be a better daughter, to be a better sister, to be a better friend, and not engage in the behaviors that I had done in the past. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't steal money, I stole men. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't wreak havoc in the sense of... Um, as much out in the outside world as I did in here. Um, and so um, 
a lot of it was just changing my behavior and feeling proud of myself at the end of the day and feeling like I had done, um, as another friend of mine says, live my life as a prayer just for that day. Did I live my life as good as I could? Did, would, would God be proud of me today? And um, so um, it's interesting in the, in, in the big book that the, um, the promises come right after the ninth step. And all I, I, I knew at that point, and it was um, the summer of uh, 95, and um, I was doing, I, I did my, my fifth step and then through my ninth step, made my ninth step amends in July or August of that, that summer. And I, I, I knew at that point that for the first time in my life, I was okay. I got down on my knees and I said to God, you know what? I have a really good life. I have wonderful friends. I have a good family that I have a good relationship with today. I know that nobody on this planet can make me whole or make me happy. That comes from you, God, and my life is good. I would like to have a husband, a partner, a lover, a friend, but if that's not in the cards for me, if that's not your will for me, I'm okay, and I know I'm okay, and thank you, God, for this life that I have. And so um, I flew up and made my amends to my girlfriend and came back. And um, there was a July 4th party at a mutual friends of ours, um, AA, now and on couple. And um, a big group, and it was all recovery people, a lot of fun. We, used, we did a lot, of, a lot of partying back then. And so um, this fellow walked in, and my, um, my sponsor looked at him, and she had a God shot. And she said, she looked at me, she went, do you think he's cute? And I was like, yeah, he is kind of cute. And she said, oh, okay. So she goes out on the porch. Poor guy. He wasn't even a year sober yet. And she sits him down. And there are alcoholics around the city of Atlanta that are terrified of my sponsor. And um, <laughs> Dennis, their sponsor, could call them, and they'd be like, nye, nye, and Barbara would call them. And <laughs> so uh, my husband to this day is still terrified of Barbara. Um, afraid that she'll give him an assignment. <laughs> so she, she went out in the back and, and quizzed him. Uh, who's your sponsor? What step are you on? How long have you been sober? Blah, 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 blah. And he's answering her. He doesn't know who she is, by the way. Oh, that's right. I take that back. He doesn't know who she is. And um, anyway, so um, she just files that away. And um, it's her um, her belly button birthday is in September, so she was going to have we were going to have go to one of those Japanese steakhouses with a big U. And um, she said, I'm going to call uh, Ward and and ask him to take you to my birthday dinner as a, as a blind date. Are you okay with that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, I had already done my fifth step with this woman, and I have learned in my relationship with her um, a couple of things. One was unconditional love, because before I took my fifth step, before I gave her my fifth step, she said to me, we prayed together, and we got down on our knees and we prayed together, and she said, no matter what you tell me, no matter what's on this paper, I will love you. I will always love you. There is nothing here that will make me stop loving you. And I believed her. And so I told her all my down and dirty, the worst things, you know, and later on I, you know, was... uh, Astonished to find out that she was just trying to stay awake. <laughs> you know, pouring on your bar, like you know, I've heard so many. It's really uh, there's really very very little that surprises me. <laughs> Thanks. So um, so that was that was so I I learned how to be a good friend through that, and and you know, 16 years later, I can say that she's not only my sponsor but she's my friend, and um, but so. 
So there's that. I, I, I learned to trust her and to trust her instincts and to trust her God. And to, you know, just when she got a God shot like that, just go with it. So I, I, I went with it. And um, true to form, Dennis called Ward and said, Barbara wants you to call him. And left him, and, you know, like five minutes later, the phone rings. And I happened to be at their house. And Ward's like, <laughs> <laughs> What should I? Do? He, he, you know, when they proposed the idea to him, he's like, "Oh, okay. What should I do?" And I said, "Call her." <laughs> so he called me, and it was Labor Day weekend of 1995, um, September 2nd, actually Sunday, September 2nd. I don't remember so well. <laughs> and we talked for three hours on the phone, and um, just talked and talked and talked, and and I thought, "Wow, that's." Pretty impressive. And then that Monday, we agreed to go to a, mat- a Monday matinee movie. It was Labor Day because I think we, we felt like a night date would be too much pressure. <laughs> so we went out and fell in love. Now, you know, coming from where I come from, I was really leery of this because I thought, oh God, this can't be happening this fast, this quick. And um, but I had a lot of women, I had a lot of strengths around me who said, just because it's fast doesn't mean it's not right. And so we were engaged within um, a month and a half, but then I wanted to be married in the church, and um, he had been married before, and so uh, the church asked us to wait um, a year and a half, and we did, and we went through you know, some, some spiritual counseling together and um, got married um, in April of 1997. So... Um, you know, we practice our program together, and um, the most telling thing, the most intimate thing that my husband and I do together, and we did before we got involved, was to um, get down on our knees and pray together. And we get down on our knees and we pray together every morning. Um, we say the third and seventh step prayer together to go out into the day, because when we got engaged, my sponsor and her husband took us through the 12 traditions of Al-Anon, because they said, you know, if, if the 12 traditions can keep however many millions of Al-Anon family groups together, they can certainly keep this little family of two together. And so we study the traditions as couples, and we learn um, how to apply the traditions um, in the home, because it's all about just keeping unity. And, and so, um, so our recoveries come first, his sobriety, my serenity comes first, and then each other. And now, our, and then after that, our child. And um, so we got married, and um, we, you know we had our ups and our downs, and you know life happens. Um, about three years after we got married, um, it was kind of time. Either we, I, I had always wanted uh, uh, children, and that was a you know he had an adult child already, and he was kind of eh, but that was a, a deal we made that you know we would try, and so. Um, the summer of, of 1999, it was like, okay, you know, it's either now or never. So we tried. I got pregnant right away. We were both in shock. And, um, of course, he was running around. <laughs> yes. Um, so um, uh, I, was, I was due on uh, June 10th of the year 2000. And um, but she wasn't coming, and she wasn't coming, and June 10th was a Saturday, and I was actually in an all-day workshop on the, on the traditions of the steps, I don't recall which, at my church. And uh, the Friday before, um, that Friday I'd gone to the, my OB, and I just was like, oh, God, you've got to, I might, please take this baby. She's like, what makes you, and she said, why? I said, I'm so tired. 
and she said, do you think you're going to get more rest after you have the baby? And I was like, yeah, I'm up every hour and a half now. If I get three hours, I'm good. So, so she said, okay, fine, you, you know, your blood pressure's a little bit up, and, you know, you passed your due date. If you don't um, go naturally over the weekend, we'll admit you on Monday, and, and um, you know, we'll, we'll induce. So um, went in Monday night, Tuesday morning, they, they um, induced labor, and after she started it, and I, I went right into labor. I did go right into labor, but she said to me, um, my OB, before she went across the street to her office to do some, um, have some appointments, she said, you know, just because you're in labor does not mean we'll have a baby today. And I looked at her and I went, ooh, we're having a baby today. <laughs> we are taking this baby whether I, you, know, you take it or I push it. I don't care. So anyway, three hours later, the nurse comes in to check on me. My mom's here. Um, Ward's here. And um, my sponsor's en route. And I just, it was around 11.30. And I said, go downstairs to the cafeteria. Have. They said it was going to take a while. So go have some lunch. And um, around, just around quarter to noon, noon, somewhere in there, the nurse comes in, just kind of take a check. She goes, oh, my God, <laughs> you're going to have this baby. I went, oh, I can't have this baby. My mom and my, my husband are downstairs. <laughs> well, as, you know, God is so good. Down the hall is another woman in the program I know real well, Anne, um, Anne and Jimmy, and, and, and their, their daughter is having a baby. And I know she's in the hospital because she's come to say hello to me. Go down the hall. This is a girl's having a baby. Her mom's there, and she knows my mom. She knows my husband. Tells her, go get my husband and bring him back up here. <laughs> Anne comes running in. What's going on? I can help you. She's like, okay, don't worry. She runs down the gap here. And anyway, net net is, you know, my husband, they'd already eaten, and word was came back up, and um, my mom was lollygagging in the guest, uh, in the shop to buy me something. And then she comes wandering, and I hadn't had the baby yet, so thank God. I'm like, Mom, where you been? Oh, shut it. <laughs> so, anyway, I had my daughter at 2 o'clock on the dot um, on June 13th, the year 2000, my Alan on birthday. And she, if you do not believe in God, then you, <laughs> you only have to look at my little girl and know that God is present in my life. And, um, and if your God isn't you know, strong enough for you, you can rely on mine, because mine is, is really good. And um, I teach Sunday school to uh, second and third graders. In fact, I would just be finishing up right about now, um, and we, I try to summarize the lesson every day, every Sunday for them, and, that they can understand. And so every, every day they walk out, every Sunday they walk out, and now they know what to do. I go, okay, one, two, three, and they'll go, God is good, and they walk out. <laughs> you know what, at that age and early in recovery, all we need to know is God is good. All I need to know is that I was loved when I first walked in these rooms and that God loved me and that you loved me. And at first I only saw God in your faces. And, and God doesn't talk to me. I don't have to see burning bushes. And, you know, I remember hearing a woman once who, who shared that she got notes from God. You know, literally notes would drift down from the heavens and land in her yard. And I was like, damn, <laughs> I never get notes. <laughs> But anyway, so the, the greatest gift uh, of my recovery, um, I shouldn't say that. My daughter is wonderful, and, and like I said, she keeps me humble, and she, uh, every time I look at her, I see God, and I r remind myself of, of you know, what's really, really important. And, um, but I also remember my sponsor, and hold it, my sponsor holding her as she was minutes old, and she looked at me, my sponsor looked at me, and she said, see her? 
she still knows what God looks like. Mm-hmm. And I went, because you know we're born, we know what God looks like. We know that feeling, that total, um, you know, we, we start to separate as we get older and we, you know, get more wisdom and, and, and life experience pulls us away from God. It doesn't naturally, for me anyway, pull me closer to God. And that's what the 12 steps of Al-Anon and the program of Al-Anon have given me, have brought me to God, oh, back to God. And um, and that's the greatest gift that I, I could ever imagine. Um, so I have, I have, my story is one of hope and joy. I have a wonderful husband. Um, I have a, a beautiful daughter. I have wonderful friendships. I have a great family. Um, I, you know, but at the end of the day, I have my God, and, and I'm okay because God loves me, because God is good. And so um, I'm going to close with this, this one prayer that um, keeps me sane and um, because my greatest uh, way of indulging in my disease is fear and worry. Like I said, I used to be too afraid to live and too afraid to die. I had stomach issues. I, had, uh, I have ulcerative colitis that I have had since I was 18 years old. I'm proud to tell you that this year I've been given a two-year pass on having, you know, checkups because my disease has been in remission for three solid years at a microscopic level. I tell you that because I firmly believe that this is a physical, emotional, and spiritual disease, and my physical uh, problems are always some a manifestation of my my spiritual health. And so I believe I got colitis because I was my stomach was always so tense. I never, you know. I, I just did not breathe. I didn't breathe, as Ann told me to last night. Um, but I also um, talked to you earlier. I said about not being flexible, and I had knee surgery right before Christmas because, you know, your knees are all about being flexible and moving forward. And for some reason, I, you know, for oh, I don't know, say much. Some reason for all the years of my life, I really, I, I you know, plant in place and I pull my I weight, you know, and I, so I, I believe that's why I have I, I needed knee surgery and I have arthritis in that knee. And, and I'm here to tell you I've been discharged from physical therapy. I have full motion in that knee. I do have arthritis. I have bone on bone. And I feel great. You know, it just God has said, okay, Cindy, you know, this is what you've done, but here's what you can do to make it better. And, and so, you know, the physical symptoms of this disease can be made better through spiritual recovery. And I believe that, that sincerely. So anyway, um, with that, I'm going to close with this prayer. It says, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing make you afraid. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Nothing is lacking to the one who has God. God alone is enough. Thank you.